Welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, your weekly dose of accounting and tax tips specific to small business owners. You will be on your way to growing your business and paying the least amount in taxes as legally possible. Here's your host, Mike Jezoshek, CPA. Today, we're doing one of our regular Q&A sessions where we answer your questions live on a podcast. Now, if you want your question answered live on our next Q&A session, and we do these roughly every two weeks or so, go ahead to our website, taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on the top and scroll to the bottom. There'll be a spot there where you can submit a form with your question. And you never know, your question might be answered next live on our podcast. All right, so let's dive into it. Let's, at, let's go after the questions that have been submitted, and I'm going to answer as many as I can in our regular normal time slot. And again, if you want your question answered live on a podcast, go to taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on top, scroll down slightly, and you'll find a form there that you can submit to submit your question. All right, so let's knock off the first one. The first question is from Scott. He says, can you send me a link on the podcast series of what is an S-Corp and why someone should consider it? Also, do we declare it every year? And also, can we switch back to just being taxed as a single member LLC? All right, Scott. So first off, we did a whole series. We love this idea of an S corporation and talk a lot about it, when you should do it, when you shouldn't do it, what are some of the things you need to be considered about when you are doing an S corporation. So you can find our entire series on that at taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash S corp. So again, that's taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash S corp. And there you're going to find our whole series on S corporations. But to answer your questions, do we have to declare it every year? And the answer is no. Once you make that S corp election, that's an election that's going to stay until it's revoked or until the business ends. So that's going to be an election that you do once and then it stays into effect from there. But the question then is, can we switch back to just being taxed as a single member LLC? And the answer is yes, you can revoke an S corp election. Now, it would be something that I would say you want to discuss with your accountant. You want to make sure that you're making the right decision on this. So yes, you can do that. We don't see it too often and we don't typically recommend it. But yes, it's possible if the circumstances make sense for it. There are some tax considerations you need to consider. And also, you won't be able to then go back to an S corporation for at least five years. So some options there, if you are saying, okay, I no longer want to be an S corporation, there are some different opportunities, different things you can think about. But the answer is yes, you can revoke an S corp election. Again, just some things we want to be considered about. Okay, so let's go to the next one. We have a question from Hyder and it says, hello, I have been doing Uber, Lyft and Grubhub. Can I open an S corporation now and write off all the earned money in the new S corporation? Thanks in advance. So I think what the question is here is like, I've been operating this business, Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, et cetera. I've been operating it. And now I've realized that I probably need an S corporation. Can I do that now? And the first thing to consider, the most important piece is, do you have an LLC set up? If you have an LLC set up that you've been operating this business under, then we can do a late election and backdate an S-Corp election. But if we don't have that LLC set up and we need, and remember for an S-Corporation, we need an LLC set up or a corporation set up. So if we don't have that, then we would now need to set one up. And then we could only do an S-Corporation from the date that LLC or corporation was set up moving forward. So again, to answer your question, let's say you're in August and from January through August, you had no LLC set up but you want to be an S corporation. Well, we could set up an LLC in August and then anything from August forward, 
we could wrap into that that S corporation, do the late election, do the elect S corp election, wrap it into that. Now, if from January to August we did have an LLC set up and everything was running and operating under that LLC, well, now in August we could do a late S corp election, backdate it to January first, run catch up payroll, and do everything there. But the key thing is, is do we have an entity set up? Do we have an LLC? Do we have a corporation set up? Yes or no, and that's going to determine if we can backdate it or if it's just going to be from that point that we start one moving forward. So, just some follow up questions there. Next question is from Tanya, and she says, I'm so confused about hiring my kids. Can you give me a rundown again of what I need to know about this strategy? So this is a key strategy, and we recommend that if you have kids, you likely should be hiring them at some capacity, some way in your business of some sort. But there is a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of people that talk about this strategy, and there's a lot of people that talk about it, but don't give enough details. And so my biggest recommendation is to go back into our podcast episodes, our blog posts, our YouTube videos. We talk about this strategy every single year, and we go into deep details about this strategy and what you need to know. So go back, review those, and if you still have questions, then come back and submit another question in it for a future episode. But just from a high level, hiring your kids is potentially a great way where you can get a business deduction and they pay no income taxes on that income. Again, potentially. Now it's going to depend on how much are you paying them. They have to be doing actual work for your business. You want to have clear documentation of what they're doing, how often they're doing it, the reasonable rate for them type of work they're doing and their experience. We need to have all those details wrapped up and cleaned up. But assuming we're dotting our eyes, crossing our T's and doing the strategy, it can be an excellent way, again, to get a business deduction, have our kids potentially pay no income taxes on that. So this is could be an entire hour-long episode, uh, deep training on this. So we, not something we can cover here, but I'd say go back and check our previous episodes because we have touched on this topic. Within our software, TaxElm, and that's at TaxElm.com, we have an entire module on this with downloads, guides, workbooks, all sorts of things that go into this strategy alone. So there's a lot to this strategy, more than I can just do on a Q&A episode. But check out our previous episodes and then again, submit the questions you have from there. But again, hiring your kids, if you have kids, say seven or older in your business, you should definitely be hiring your kids at some capacity. Maybe we're not paying them $12,000, $15,000 a year. Maybe we're just paying them 500 or 1000 or whatever it might be. But you should be hiring your kids at some capacity in your business and finding a business purpose for your kids to be working there. So many tax benefits and so many outside of tax benefits as well. We have a question from Casey and they said, we purchased a business from family. Our agreement was to pay them a certain amount a month over the course of several years. Can that money be a write-off? We are an S corporation. Thank you. Love the podcast. We have learned so much as new small business owners. Well, Casey, thank you for listening. It's listeners like you that really kind of continue us to keep putting these out. We love to share ideas, strategies, ways that everyday business owners can pay the least amount of taxes legally possible. So thank you for listening. Now to answer your question, you purchased a business, can those payments to make that seller finance business purchase, can those payments be a write-off? And there's going to be a few questions on this. First off, generally stating just those principal payments that you're making to to pay off a, a business that you bought are not going to be a tax deduction, but there might be some items that are on there. We need to look at what type of purchase was this? Was this an asset purchase, an asset sale of the business? If so, there's going to be some allocation. And within that purchase agreement, there would have been forms that you would have had file and forms of the IRS that show, okay, how much of that purchase price was allocated to the various different assets. And an asset sale is what we see most often, but it could be a stock sale as well. So 
there's a lot of details, a lot of intricacies to this. The main piece is, is our just principal payments for a purchase of a business tax deductible, generally stating, no, any interest wrapped into that would be deductible. If it's an asset sale and there's an asset allocation, there would be some depreciation and various different expenses on that piece that would be deductible. So kind of a tough question to answer just with the context that we have here, but there is likely going to be some type of item that's deductible. It's just not as simple as taking those payments and writing it off as a business expense. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, we have a question from an anonymous Facebook group member. And if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go join now, go into Facebook, type in small business tax secrets in Facebook, small business tax secrets, answer a few questions and join our Facebook group, but this came from an anonymous member in our Facebook group. And they said, if I buy a bounce house and rent it out for my party rental business and it's under $2,500, what category of expense does this fall under? And so the key thing is here is it's under $2,500. And so that means that if they have implemented a capitalization policy in their business, which we recommend, which we talk about, which is just filing something on paper that says anything under $2,500 is going to be expensed immediately. And then also taking the de minimis election when they file their tax return. That's what's part of the capitalization policy. And that's for items under $2,500, one single item, $2,500 or less, allows us to expense it immediately. Their question really seems to just be a bookkeeping question. What expense category do I put this under? And so you could put this under a cost of goods sold. If you plan on selling this out, you could put under small tools and equipment, or if you have other items that you purchase and rent out and you just have a specific category for that, you can put that there too. The key thing is that you're getting the expense for it. That's the most important piece. Finding the right category can really just be depend on what are you doing with other items that are in that category. Again, it could be cost of goods sold. It could be a small tools and equipment. It could be a rental expense, whatever it might be, or an item for your business that you typically rent out other items. Put it in that category. We have a question from Luke. And he says, everything you do on the podcast and the info you sent has been super helpful. Luke, happy to help. Happy that we've been a great resource for you. Thanks again for all that you do. I may need to consult an attorney for this question, but it's related to taxes. I'd prefer to file one tax return for my LLCs. I have four LLCs that are, are under the umbrella of a Wyoming LLC. Will filing only one tax return negate some of my asset protection under the LLCs? So Luke, first things first, I would say talk to your attorney about asset protection. They're the ones that are going to be able to tell you what can qualify and what cannot. But from a tax standpoint, I'll tell you this. If you have an entity that has your ownership in other entities, those entities are going to be wrapped under that final entity that owns them. And so let's look at this example. Let's say you have four LLCs. They are all 100% owned by you or an entity of yours, no other partners or anything like that. And we see this a lot with setups. Those LLCs, if you have one kind of holding company or parent company that owns ownership in all those LLCs are going to be disregarded entities wrapped into that one holding company return. And you're only filing that one return that includes the activity for all of them on it. We see this most often with S corporations. If you're a business owner, we all, we know obviously that if you're making enough money, if you're paying too much in self-employment taxes and you're in a place that, that makes sense, we know the S corporation is a great strategy for you. And so oftentimes we'll say, have a parent company, have a main holding company, parent company, whatever you want to call it, that's an S corporation and have that S corporation own your ownership in these other entities. And so you might have an entity that's a laundromat. You might have an entity that is a consulting business and you might have another entity that's another business that you're running. And all three of those entities would be owned by your one S corporation and the activity for them would be wrapped into one tax return for that S corporation. So yes, it's possible. It makes sense. It just depends on where is that ownership level at. 
As far as asset protection, obviously, you're going to want to talk to an attorney to confirm that. I would say this also, that we talk about this idea of S-corporations operating businesses. We always want to factor in the type of income that you're receiving. So we want to have a separate business entities for operating businesses that you're active in versus rental properties and maybe investments and different things like that. So take that in consideration. If you have an S corporation set up, but one of those businesses, one of those LLCs is a rental property, you don't want that wrapped up into your operating side of your activities. You want that part of your passive part of your activities. So that's going to be a separate business entity that's on the passive side. But if you're involved in multiple business entities that you're actively participating in, not just a passive investment, if you're involved in multiple business entities, then we can compile them under that S-Corp idea or that S-Corp strategy. And we had a podcast episode on this a few years back that you might want to check out on that as well. We have a question from Chuck, and he says, you talk a lot about the value of self-employed healthcare premium deduction. If I'm a retired federal employee who is now self-employed as a sole proprietor, are the FEHB premiums I pay as a former employee now deductible? I've searched everywhere, but can't get a definitive answer. Thank you. So Chuck, generally stating, if those are part of your benefits from that previous employer, which is a government entity, generally stating those premiums would not be deductible. Now, there might be some workarounds on that, but just generally stating, no, that would not be included as self-employed health insurance deduction. We have a question from Richard. He says, first off, love the podcast. I'm learning so much. Richard, great. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Happy to be able to help you. He says, one problem. I feel like I'm struggling during implementation and need someone to bounce ideas off of, have follow-up questions. What do you recommend? Richard, this is one of the key pieces. And we always talk about when we're talking about learning tax strategies, Learning is the first step, and then implementation is the second step. You cannot save taxes by simply learning tax strategies. You save taxes when you learn them, and then you implement them. That implementation is where that tax savings truly comes in. And so this is an important question, and this is exactly why we started TaxSound, because we wanted to be able to offer that extra level of service through a state-of-the-art software that we created. So definitely check out TaxElm. That's TaxElm, T-A-X-E-L-M. And TaxElm is a software that we built that has a ton of features in it. We have a tax savings blueprint that gives you a download of all the tax strategies you should be looking at, gives you a listing of what you have implemented, what you should be implementing this year, and maybe some ideas you want to think about for future implementation. That tax saving blueprint also gives you estimated tax savings and all sorts of information on that. We also have a training program where we have lessons, where we have downloads, we have workbooks, we have guides, we have templates. We have all sorts of things that basically walk you through and help you implement every single one of the strategies that we talk about. You also have unlimited access to our team of tax experts. When you have questions that pop up, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I implement this piece? You have full access, unlimited access to our team of tax experts. Included, we also have a one-on-one live annual meeting where we can go through any questions you have, any last-minute items. You'd get to choose on that annual meeting what you want to talk about. And we're there to help you along that. We also have various things like group webinars, a bookkeeping analysis that we do annually, a partner discounts, a partner directory. So we have a ton of information available on there. And that's going to be something that you definitely want to check out regarding this. So again, you can find that at TaxElm, T-A-X-E-A-L-M.com. We built this software specifically for people like you. Next question we have is from Joy. And they said, Hi, I recently discovered your podcast and have been in a deep dive for the past two weeks listening every day. I have questions about the best way to set up my husband's and my own separate business that is primarily based in California, but we now have our permanent residence in Florida. 
my new business will be Florida based and my husband is opening a Florida branch this year. Still, 100% of the income at this moment comes from California. We want to take advantage of living in Florida, though, as much as we can. Do you advise on this or can you recommend someone who we consult with for the best practice on this type of stuff? I'm about to LLC our businesses here in Florida and then put them under an escort, but there's a lot more I need to know. Okay, so Joy, a lot of different things going on here. I highly recommend, again, Tax Helm's a great opportunity where we can go through the training as well as have that one-on-one live consultation with our team member where we can dig through your specific scenario here and make sure that we provide the best answer and best option for you. But generally stating, you're going to want to, if you're starting a new business, start that business where you're operating. That's going to be the easiest piece. If you already have an existing business, but now you are operating in a different location, then you can do a foreign entity election in that new location. And so that foreign entity is saying, hey, we're not creating a new entity. We're just taking the same entity that we have and we we create another location for it in this new state. Also, if you're fully moving your operations out of California, you can do a de-domestication of that entity where you're basically moving that physical entity from California to Florida. Again, these are all things you're going to want to talk to an attorney about those specific items, but generally saying, yes, you can do that. Now, the biggest thing is, are you going to have a presence in California? Are you going to have workers there, owners there, offices there, anything like that? If so, then you're going to want to do the foreign entity where you're operating out of two different places. Now, when you file your tax return, you're going to be able to separate that income based on an apportionment of, okay, here's the amount from California, here's the amount from Florida, and be able to adjust some things there. So a lot of items going on here. Too much to cover just in a quick Q&A podcast episode, but definitely check out Tax Elm and continue to listen to the items we have on our podcast on that. All right, four more questions we're going to deep dive into here, and then we're going to get going on this podcast episode. We have a question from Amy. Can anyone help me find a post or podcast that shares how to hire young grandchildren? My business is a Nest Corporation. My grandchildren help quite a bit, and I've been paying them with a W-2. Any help is greatly appreciated. So Amy, because you say young grandchildren, I'm assuming they're under the age of 18. And so yes, you can hire them in your house corporation, but you're going to have to pay them a W-2, withhold for Social Security, Medicare taxes. Now they might not have any federal withholding taxes on that if they're under the standard deduction, but they're still going to have to pay both their share of FICA and then you're going to have to match that on the business side. And so one workaround that we do with this, and we talk about this idea of a family management company with an S corporation for your own children, but it also works in this instance. Because if your children, who are the parents of your grandchildren, if your children set up a family management company and offer services to your S corporation, you can take make payments to your children's S corporation. That's going to be a business deduction. You're going to 1099 their S corporation for the type of activity. or You're going to 1099 their family management company for the type of work they're doing. And then they, out of the sole proprietorship, can pay their children, who are your grandchildren, utilizing the strategy we talked about, where they can avoid FICA taxes and, and different things like that. So again, if you pay them out of your S corporation, if you pay your grandchildren out of your S corporation, you can pay them a W-2, no problem. And they, if they're under standard deduction, they're going to have no federal withholding. They will have to pay FICA taxes, their portion, and then you'll have to match that. The workaround is to have your children set up a family management company, have your S corporation pay their family management company, and then have them pay your grandchildren out of their family management company. So that's kind of the setup we do. Check out our episode that we do on hiring your children because we talk about this, not necessarily from a grandchildren standpoint, but how that family management company works from a parent standpoint, where you're essentially doing the same exact thing, except you have your children in there that you're creating that intermediary so that they can pay 
your grandchildren. Uh, we have a question from Dylan. I have a slight understanding about the don't have to report income less than $400 a year from one source rules. I'm a contractor and I've done a few jobs that were less than $400 this year. Does that mean I don't have to report that income? Dylan, first off, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to about the $400. I think what you're talking about is the $600 related to whether a 1099 is required or not. And so in order to pass that threshold where if somebody is paying you as a contractor and you earned $600 or more, then they need to send you a 1099. If you earn $600 or less, then they would not have to send you a 1099. Now, that does not mean that whether you receive a 1099 or not doesn't mean whether you report that income. You report all income made regardless of if you see, receive a form for it. So that is one key distinction I want to make clear. If you're doing work, if you're performing services and you're getting paid for that, you need to report that as income regardless of if you received a 1099 or not. Now that threshold for a 1099 is $600. And I think that's the, the dollar amount that you're referring to. So do you have to report that as income? Absolutely. If you make $50 per variety of service, you have to report that as income. We have a question from Jen and two more questions. Jen says, did you open a separate LLC for your Airbnb or furnished finder property? My current business is a party rental. Would like any advice? Yeah. So if you're starting, if you have a business that you're running, which is a party rental, so you're running a party rental business, but now you're buying a rental property, you're going to want that completely separate. Again, we kind of talked about this earlier, where you have your operating activities, things you're active in, and then your passive activities. This is going to be things like a rental property. So your operating activities, that party rental, you're going to have on one side in their own business. And then that rental property, that passive type activity, you're going to have in a separate business. And that's going to be a separate LLC for that rental property. So exactly right. You're going to want two separate businesses, two separate LLCs to break up that operating, that active type activity from that passive activity. We have a question. Last question. Question from Samantha. I've been considering offering a retirement plan to my employees. What are the tax benefits for small businesses that set up a retirement plan and what options are available that are tailored to small businesses? Well, Samantha, we're going to have an episode in a few weeks or months about with Matt Ruttenberg over at Life Inc. Retirement Services, who's a partner that we've worked with for a long time on retirement plans. And we're going to talk exactly about this topic. The question is, Yes, offering a retirement plan is a great option for your businesses. If you have employees, and these are going to be non-owner employees, we're typically looking at either a 401k or a simple IRA, a simple IRA or a 401k. And then there's different types of 401ks. Most often we see safe harbor 401ks. But if you have employees that are non-owners, you're going to be looking at a simple IRA or a 401k. And which one you you go with really just depends on how much money do your employees want to put away, how much do you want to uh, match for them, and where you want to go with that. So definitely some really cool options there. Also, the government has given us some really good benefits, credits, tax credits for opening up a retirement plan. So now is a great time to open up a retirement plan. Again, we're going to have an episode coming up here with Matt Runberg over at Life Inc. Retirement Services, where we go through retirement plans for businesses with employees businesses with just non-owner employees or businesses with just the owners as employees, as well as the tax credits and different things like that. So hold hold tight for that episode where we're going to be talking about that. Again, I want to thank you for listening. We do these Q&A episodes every few weeks, and I absolutely love these because it gives me the opportunity to answer questions directly that you as the listener have. So if you want your question answered live on our next Q&A episode, go to Tax Savings Podcast. Dot com, click podcast on top and scroll down and there's going to be a form that you can submit to submit your question. You never know. Your question might be answered on our next Q&A session. And again, if you're interested in joining Tax Elm, learning more about Tax Elm, 
and what we can offer. Basically, we say it's like having a tax strategy partner in your back pocket. You have unlimited access to our team of tax experts, along with training, downloads, templates, all sorts of fun things within TaxElm. Go to www.taxelm.com. I want to thank you for listening to another episode, and I will see you next week. This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review and share with other business owners. You can find previous episodes and more information at www.taxsavingspodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.